Today's Animal Spirits Talk Your Book is brought to you by Innovator ETFs. Check out InnovatorETFs.com to learn more about their managed floor ETFs and their defined income products. That's InnovatorETFs.com. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by Innovator Capital Management. On today's show, we spoke with Bruce Bond about what they're doing over there. The uh, the ETF industry is a mature one, right? At this point, there's like two different camps. There's the index side, and adjacent to that is the smart beta stuff. And that's all basically free at this point, 10 basis points or less. And then on the other side of the barbell, there are, I guess, active, thematic, creative ones. And Innovator is definitely on that side of the spectrum bringing new ideas or old ideas, the structure note into a new wrapper, the ETF. Well, I guess not new, but you know where I'm going. And I think a lot of it had to do with rule changes too, that you couldn't really do these in the past. So what I think the, the first ETF came out in 1993, SPY. Although my Canadian friends up north tell me it actually the first one was in Canada, I think in 1991. Really? Oh, they I did us. not know the, that. Like the TSX 30 or 5 or something like that. And so it's been, yeah, you're right. It's been, you know, 30 plus years of ETFs. And I'm sure a lot of people thought that a lot of this stuff would never make an ETFs, right? We're talking about structured note type products that are fairly esoteric, a lot of paperwork involved if you're going Options. to do one through a bank. Yes. So th- a lot of stuff that wasn't just, just wasn't available and now it is. And I, yeah, it, it's it kind of mind boggling how many choices investors have these days in a product like this that they never would have had access to in the past. So... The category that we spoke about today, like the defined outcome one, to be able to say, okay, uh, 10% down, I'm making these numbers up, 10% downside, 17% upside, nah, that, I don't really like that. Okay, well, uh, 20% downside, 37% upside. Yeah, that sounds, whatever it is, to be able to actually see your risk, see your potential reward and make decisions based off of that. It's an interesting concept, and the proof is in the pudding in terms of advisor and client adoption. There is a lot of money in these ETFs because people want them. I'm guessing the demographic skew older. I'm sure we've talked about this before. For sure. But if, if you have wealth and you're in the wealth preservation mode, having these defined outcomes would seem to be, would make a lot of sense. I don't, yeah, if you're, if you're in accumulation mode, I don't know why you would want to cap your upside. Right. Um, unless you're really a nervous Nelly, in which case own less stock, but whatever. But yeah, Ben, you're right. For the people that are in preservation mode who have no interest in living through another uh, meltdown, uh, they might say, yeah, listen, I don't need all the smoke of the S&P 500. I don't need, okay, the Qs were up 55% this year. I don't need that. I'm happy with X. Whatever your X is, you're now able to get inside of an ETF wrapper. Pretty neat. Um, all right, so- With no further ado, here is Bruce Bond from Innovator. We're joined today again by Bruce Bond. Bruce is the co-founder and CEO of Innovator Capital Management. Bruce, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. I say it every time you come on, but it's the truth. Uh, We get plenty of things wrong. This we were dead right about. 
the success uh, and growth of the category that you have defined. I'll call the defined outcome category. Innovators now at $18 billion under management, which is incredible considering that. Did you guys pass your fifth birthday? Yeah, we just passed it. Yeah, so okay. five years. So not a, not a bad not a bad run, uh, to say the least. All right, so the company started, the, the first product that Ben and I saw in Chicago way back when were the Buffered ETFs. And we had a feeling that advisors would clamor for this, and, and they sure did. And now you've spread your tentacles out into some other, other categories. You've got, we'll talk about a bunch of this today, equity defined protection. You have defined income, an equity managed floor uh, suite of products. The environment today, and when I say the environment, I'm really talking about 5% interest rates, looks a heck of a lot different than it did in 2018 and 2019. So with that lead, and I'm curious, where are you seeing the most interest today from advisors and their clients? I think we're still seeing the most interest in the annual buffers, the things that we started with. I think that's primarily because that's what we've talked about uh, the most over time. And what people have gotten comfortable with. So, you know, the 10, 15, 30 buffer, uh, it still continues to be kind of our number one asset grower. But we are seeing uh, a tremendous amount of interest in the managed outcomes, you know, kind of, you know, the ones that we're going to talk about today with like Q floor and S floor, uh, floor type products, as well as in the protect series as well, where you have 100% protection. There's a lot of interest there as well. So we're really, you know, from the buffers and, and, you know, when I talked to you guys originally, we were trying to keep it as simple as we could so people could digest how these products work. I think that's one reason we're as proud as we are of how it's gone over the last five years is, you know, we had to introduce this whole new concept within an ETF. So we had to keep it really simple. People are comfortable with that now. That allows us to introduce some ideas that are a little bit different, although still keeping it simple, to give them more control over their assets. Bruce, there's there's been a ton of other products that have come, not just from you, outside of uh, different fund providers using options. And we don't need to name any names, but there's some option funds that even in the ETF space have blown up. And the whole point of your business is to help investors define, even though you can't predict ahead of time, it puts some, I guess, some ranges on what the outcomes could be. Has anything surprised you since you started the business and started running these funds in terms of the behavior of the funds or how these strategies have worked or implementing the options? Any any big surprises there that you wouldn't have expected? Not really, Ben. I think that's the thing that uh, has really bode so well for us. You know, we I think the beauty of the buffers where we started is, you know, you just say, okay, look, for one year, you get this much upside, you have this much protection on the downside, and, and, you know, this is what you get, you know, like you said, you know, we're kind of putting bumpers on, on a bowling alley, you know, kind of keeping you within the lanes, giving you a sense of what your outcome will be has really been what it's been. And, and I think the fact that we have over 300, you know, we call these outcome periods, you know, the one year period or the quarterly period, 300 of those now, and basically all of them have completed exactly where we expected them to. And, and, you know, for most investors and advisors, you know, being able to deliver on a promise is key. I mean, how many times any of us on, on the line here today, you know, have been involved with a product and we think we're going to get this, but we get that, or we think we're going to get that and we get this, you know, it's so frustrating. And I think having reliable and predictable and repeatable outcomes for people 
is just really why the category is growing. You don't get that, you know, in investing much these days. And being able to deliver that's been really huge and a lot of people gravitating toward it. Ben and I were actually just talking about one of those products this morning where we were looking at it and we said, whoa, that's not what we thought would happen with that one. Uh, so the fact that you lay out what uh -oh. you're going to do, uh-oh, what? Oh, well, I mean, maybe it didn't do what you thought it was going to uh -oh. do. I think typically it does. You know, so <laughs> Now, this is not something that we invest in. It's just something that we were we were observing from afar. Um, I'm curious, and before we move on to the the other the newer stuff, I'm curious with the buffers because there are different periods of of time. There's is there one for every month? Yeah, there's one for every month in those three different levels. Yes. So my the question is this: Is there any one month? for whatever reason, where you just see a lot more flows? Like, is it January or is is there really no rhyme or reason? Yeah. I mean, you would think, um, you know, we had over a billion dollars flow into our January funds this year. You know what I mean? And um, you would think it would be January because in the industry, we all kind of think, you know, January to January, what's my return, season track, you know, how you performed. But it really doesn't matter. And, and the other thing I would say that we do see a lot of, like July was massive too, like a billion and a half into July or something. And what we see is that, um, you know, when we're getting up close to where the cap is, sometimes you'll see a big adjustment. If you, and if you think about July, right, for run up to July last year was a huge run up. And then we had a big adjustment after that where people locked in their gains pretty much. And then went for another year. And so July became a big year. So it all depends on what the market's doing is what we're seeing. You know, the market's way up, people may roll and lock that gain in. Or if the market's down, we see flows too, because people are saying, okay, I'm going to get in now because the caps tend to expand when the market's down. So, you know, we see both. Yeah, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of an investor. And I, I originally was going to say, it doesn't make sense, correct me if I'm wrong, it yeah. doesn't make great sense to invest in a buffered ETF in a bear market. Because in a bear market, you really want to be there for the upside bounce. So why would you, if you're in a, if, if we're uh, October of 2022, right? The NASDAQ's down, whatever it is, 35%, the, the S&P's down 27. Why would you want to cap your upside at that point in time? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And, and just think about early, Earlier this year, or even think of the beginning of last year, what would you do then? You know, you didn't think, what, we, what, what did everybody tell us? Mediocre gains. It's not going to be much, but we could, we still have some potential downside. We're coming in for a rough landing. You know, you really have to put yourself in the moment. And, you know, Michael, you're pretty good at, hey, the market sold off. It's on sale. I'm going to get in. I'm going to buy that. Well, people want to do that. But you know what? People don't want to go in for a big downdraft. They're still not up for a huge downdraft. So they'll say, you know what? I'm going to buy the nine buffer. I still got 9% on the downside, but I'm getting 20, 21, 22% of the upside. I'll take that, you know? And and so that's why people do it is because it takes some of that, uh, you know, guessing out of it. And it says, look, do you really think the market's going to do over 20% uh, over the next year? I mean, some people might say, yeah, I think it's going to do 30. And, and if you think that, but- you have to really put yourself in the moment. Even early this year, we are already in the S&P past most of the predictions. Just in the year already. You know, of all the guys out there, yeah, it's going to be 8 or 9%. I think the average is, you know, 7% or something. 
We're already past that. Yeah, I think the, the strategists on average had 5%. We're already past that gain. Yeah, we're already past that. Yeah. And so so we told people, well, you're going to get around, you know, 17, 18%. Why not grab that, have downside in case we do have some kind of a hiccup in the market? And uh, you you get that upside for and the, the insurance for free on the downside that, you know, you're going to have a buffer in there. For the advisors that you and your team are talking to, how, and it's kind of hard to figure this out with ETF flows and such, but how many are being more strategic in jumping around depending on what the market is doing? And how many are just saying, I want a static uh, allocation to these buffers and every whatever month or year I'm going to I'm going to add a new one? How many, how many are... Hang on, let me jump in. I'm sorry. You you have to you have to be active with these things. Bruce, you may disagree and tell me if I'm wrong, but if you buy if you bought that that product uh, and you've got the 9% downside and the 20% upside, if the market rips 20% and you're at the cap, why would you unless I'm missing something, why would you stay invested if there's no more further upside potential? Well, remember, it, it it lags the market a little bit, as you've experienced, right? So it's not going to be up all the way to the cap. If you're six months through the period, you know, you're not going to be right on the cap. You're going to be you know, moving up. But let's say the market's up 12 or something like that. You might be up you know, six or seven, something like that. You have to wait through the full outcome period to get the whole cap. That's one this, thing. Okay, I got it. So is there- You see what you I'm be, saying? I, I do see what you're saying. But let's say that the cap is is 20 and I know we're, this is hypothetical, but the market's up yeah. well in excess of that. Or let's say the cap's 10 and the market's up 20. Like, is there a point in time in which you would fully get to the cap? Or is there really a big time delay baked into the problem? Well, okay. So let's just take that example. Let's say that the, the cap on the ETF was 20 and the market is up 20, but you're only six months in. So you're only up 10% right now. And you're looking at it, and you're like, okay, I know I got another potential temp. And this is where people start to think about it, Michael. They say, okay, I got six more months. Now, if the if the market holds, I'm going to get that other ten percent. Now, I could roll out and lock in the ten that I have and get get another cap and potentially get more upside. But I already have that future ten locked in as long as the market holds. You know, so it all, all all of a sudden it starts. You start balancing it, and you start saying, "Ah, yeah, I'm gonna if if it just holds, I get another ten percent. Um, if it comes down, it's got to come down a long way for me to lose anything." And so that's how people start to think about it. So it's you would think, Michael, that you would just say, "Wow, I'm at the cap. I'm rolling out. I'm grabbing the new one." It's not sometimes as straightforward as that. I get that, but wouldn't you also, so let's just say, fine, let's say that the market's up 20, you're only up 10, but if you were to sell into lock into the, roll into the next one, wouldn't you also raise your floor? Your cap, you would raise your cap, right. The cap would jump no, I'm saying, up. I'm saying, I'm oh, saying, yeah, I'm and saying you would raise your the buffer, right. your buffer would be like right. at a higher level. So you're going to, exactly. If the market goes 10 down 10 from that point, well, you're, you're buffered, right? You have a buffer. Right, exactly. So, yeah. So and that's what I was mentioning uh, earlier, you guys, like in July of last year, the market, you know, ripped the cover off the ball the first six months. And we had a huge adjustment as a lot of advisors adjusted their portfolio and locked in, you know, for another year. And they made that adjustment and locked in their game. So we see both, Ben, to your question. We see some people just saying, this thing is great. I'm just letting it run. I'm not going to mess around with it. But then, Michael, to your point, we have some Advisors that think they're more, they they view themselves as more of a manager in protecting these assets. They're not really asset gatherers; they're more managing. And those guys are more tactical. We see them get in and make adjustments. 
All right. So as far as the other things, the newer things go, the managed floor, the defined, the defined income. Where should we go next? What 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 are we excited to talk about? Well, let's talk about the these two new products that we have with Parametric a little bit. I th- I think those are very interesting. Something uh, you guys probably aren't super familiar with, and your listeners aren't. And, and I think a great opportunity for investors. All right, great. So so Parametric for those who are unfamiliar, Parametric is a pioneer in the custom indexing space. They were correct me if I'm wrong. They were bought by Eden Vance, who was bought by Morgan Stanley. Yep. That's right. Okay. Saying Ray Michael. Yep. So, what does the partnership with Parametric look like? So, our partnership now, and, and I think that uh, Parametric had two things going on. You know, you know, they had this, yeah, you know, this custom indexing thing. You know, where and but then they also are one of the most respected uh, institutional asset managers that write these uh, cover call strategies. They've been doing this forever. This has kind of been their business or secret sauce from an asset management standpoint. You know, they manage, I think, almost $500 billion uh, in these types of approaches. You know, so I think they, they're, you know, obviously they have a lot of credibility. So, you know, and in, in, uh, after they saw the buffers, they were super intrigued with those. And they contacted us and say, hey, we think we got something that could be really uh, compelling in an ETF. And, and so we started talking and we're working together now. And we have two different products. One is called QFloor. The Q is for QQQ, and one is called S floor, uh, and S is for the spider, you know, or equity U.S. equity exposure floor. So just think of that: Q floor, S floor, and what is a floor? So a floor is different than a buffer, right? A buffer is the first nine percent or the first fifteen percent. So a floor, these have what is called a ten percent floor, and what that means is you're exposed for the first 10% down. After that 10%, you have no more risk. So you have 90% protection on the downside and you have 10% exposure the first 10%. So what are you giving up on the upside to get that protection? So, okay. So these are a little different than the buffers and these are designed to give you the upside of, of either the cues or of the spider and to not really, you don't have a cap on these, right? So you're not really being capped out on these, and but you have this 10% floor. Now, there has been, it's trailed a little bit. In a really aggressive upward market, you might trail a little bit. But in a trending market, you're going to keep pace with the underlying. And and so for these two, we actually buy the underlying or, or you know, we, we buy a representative sample of the cues or or of the spy, and we trend with that. And then what they do is they write cover calls on this. They have this um, uh, custom cover call writing strategy that they use. It's a shorter term cover call writing strategy, and they raise premium with that, right? So that premium they raise, we buy puts. And we buy these puts, you know, 10% out of the money. So you have 90% per, uh, covered. And so writing the calls covers the cost of the puts, okay? And now, you know, sometimes you might get a benefit of the calls. Like if the puts are less expensive than we thought, then you might actually get a little income from the cover call writing strategy. But typically we think, you know, they're kind of designed to where, um, you know, they, they will take care of their 20 delta calls, if you guys are familiar with that, not to get into details. But it gives you 20% of the upside before you, you could get them called away. So they're writing them out there every two weeks uh, through a series of cover call writing 
to raise enough premium to be able to pay for the put. So what does that mean? That means that you have 10% exposure. Let's just talk about the Qs, right? Let's just talk about the Qs. So you have 10% exposure on the downside of the Qs. That's it. You have 90%. Now, one other thing I want to explain about the put is these are one-year puts, okay, 90%, uh, but they're they're uh, they're tranched out quarterly. So we buy them every quarter for one year. So you have, so it's kind of a, it moves a little and we're rebuying it. So we're tracking the market. So your puts are moving up as the market moves up. We're buying these 90% out of the money or I mean, uh, 10% out of the money puts. So two questions of clarification. So you only have 10% downside risk. I assume that's at maturity or at the annual marker. That's, or that's what exactly? all the time. That's all the time. You can buy at any time. That is at the end, but if you think about it, you know, you buy the puts up front, so you have the put, you know, so if the market crashes, the put becomes very valuable, right? So they move up in value. And so it's significant. So the the put has its value. So at any given time, you might have a maximum of 11, remember, because the market is moving and they're tranched out. And so it isn't like buying one put at 90%. We're buying, you know, four puts across the year quarterly at 90%. And so it moves a little bit, but it's designed like that. So, you know, it's, it, we, so one of the things about the buffers people get concerned with is like this one year period, you know, they, they want to be able to get in anytime and participate with it. And what binding these quarterly like this, it allows you to get involved and, and at any time and have that 90% put in place pretty much. So this isn't the kind of fund that's going to be rolled out on a monthly or quarterly basis of some of the other ones. This is just going to be a standalone. This is just one fund. It's just one fund, one is on the S&P, and one is on the NASDAQ 100. I guess the the, the selling points here, for, especially for the Q floor, which is the NASDAQ one, would be, listen, uh, NASDAQ has run a ton in the past 10, 15 years, but I'm also positioning for an AI bubble. So I want, I want like, the upside, but I want right. to be protected on the downside. That's kind of the, at least the that, NASDAQ that, 100, that's, that's exactly point, right. right. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you guys know the number, but Mag seven, you know, has contributed like forty or fifty percent of the return so far in the queues, right? I mean, so it's like, okay, guys, you, they are not of the return. They they represent in weight forty yeah. percent, I think it is, of the queues. So, I mean, you have huge exposure to these guys as well as a bunch of the AIs that are the up and comers. And so, what this allows you to do is to put it in a floor on your on your wrist there. So, let's say you're kind of a conservative investor, but you want more tech exposure. I mean, to me, this is really a brilliant way to do that without taking on the risk of the NASDAQ. And let's face it, the the NASDAQ, you know, uh, moves around a lot, you know, and it can be down 10% without any trouble. So this really puts a floor on your risk as far as that goes. We expect and, and you know, uh, parametric expects that this will keep pace with the uh, NASDAQ 100 over the, over time. And in fact, you know, if if you look back uh, to 2000 from today, it's actually outperformed the Nasdaq uh, historically because uh, it took out some of those massive down draws. You know, so, so Bruce, other drawdowns. Bruce, I have to I have to politely push back a little. This sounds like a free lunch, and we know that free lunches don't exist. So one of the catches is that this will track, I assume, the the price return index. Uh, now that now yeah. that there's really dividends. Yeah, 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 any, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. So, so, all right. So the Qs have a well, dividend. No, 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 no. Here, here's the thing, Michael. Remember, this owns the underlying stock. Okay, so, so this, it, you know, 
Um, usually we're, we're buying a deep in the money call, you know, to give representation to these different markets. This one actually, Parametric, owns a representative sample of the underlying stock. But remember, too, NASDAQ doesn't have much dividend yield. Right, 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 right. You know right. what I mean? So, so I mean, all right, so, so what is the catch? Well, so, so the catch is that, I mean, if we have a really skyrocketed market, you're going to trail the, the NASDAQ a little bit. You know, because yeah, but you, that's not. But, you know, but that's not the. That's not. That can't be the real risk. I mean, that who cares is, about that's that? it. It's, that's it's, it's it. not really. It's not really a cap. But you know, these are these are written, quote unquote. Just think about them like you know, twenty percent out of the market. So if the market runs up, you know, and it, it really goes above, you know, you could lose some of those stocks. Okay. So the timing of this, the timing this? of the options is part of is kind of part of the risk there, then, right? The Qs the yeah. Qs were up fifty. The Qs were up fifty five percent last year. Right? What would this? Yeah, we didn't have it all last, last year. year. Yeah, I, I could. We didn't have it all last year, so I wouldn't be able to tell you what it okay. was. I, I will tell you this. Let me g- give you this. They've Parametric's been running this over time. Over the last ten years, the QFLR strategy would have been up thirteen point nine percent. The Nasdaq was up seventeen point nine percent. Okay, so that is a big spread. However, okay, that's a big spread. Okay, good. Okay, but. The sharp on this is 0.95 versus the sharp on the uh, NASDAQ 100 is 0.76. The volatility on this is 13 versus 21. So, And so that's the thing. If we have a super aggressive market, you could get some stuff called away, and um, you may not keep up with the underlying, but at the same time, so so that's the risk. I th- that's the give up. Michael, you know I always say, yeah, there's no free lunches, and we all know that. So that's the potential. But if you have a trending type of a market, um, you're going to participate in that with this on the bottom. And we think for a lot of people, it's better than a cap. I mean, how many how many people keep up anyway? You know, I mean, to be honest <laughs> with all these active managers. I mean, you know, I mean, seriously. Yeah. So yeah. here you do that and you know where your floor is at. All right. Fair enough. So let's talk about this defined income product. What's the deal with this one? So, you know, think about the defined income product as basically, it, it's kind of like a buffer, okay? We have buffers and barriers. Now, let me explain the difference between a, a buffer and a barrier. A buffer, as I mentioned earlier, is you're buffered for the first 9%. A barrier, our first barrier is at 10%. And so, you know, when you're buffered for the first 9%, it says 0 to 9, you don't lose any money from 0 to 9, but then when you go to 10%, you're going to lose 1% you know, 11%, you know, those 2%. And so you start losing after the buffer. The that's, barrier, like hard protection. that's like hard protection on a structured note. Yeah, exactly. So so here, a barrier is you go down at 10%, you don't lose anything at the 10% barrier, but you go down 11%, you're down 11%. And that's soft protection. Yes. Right, okay. So that's the difference to a barrier and a buffer. You know, and, and I think that well, I want to make sure people understand the difference between them here. And so what we're doing is it started with the barriers because uh, those of you that are familiar with, you know, like auto callables, I don't know if you guys are familiar with those in the structured product world, massive uh, products within the structured product world, all kinds of income generated. We were trying to figure out um, how, how do we replicate that kind of a strategy within an ETF. And the barriers are our attempt to do that. And we think they basically do that. But, you know, you don't need the call, really. The call was to, you know, for other reasons within those products. So what this does is, it, it you know, there there's two types. There's the barriers and the buffers. Now, we have four barriers, one at 
one at 20%, one at 30%, and one at 40%. Okay. And, and the idea here is you can pick what level of barrier you're comfortable with, with the amount of income it will generate. The two most successful ones we've had on the barriers are the 20 barrier. So let's just talk about that one right now. So the 20 barrier will pay you 8.21% annually. All right. So you're going to get paid that each year. Well, you're going to get paid that for the first year. Then it's going to reset the second year, just like a buffer. And it's going to give you a new income level. Um, but it's like a bond. You know, it, that's the beauty of it. And it's paid quarterly. So it pays you that quarterly, splits it up into four pieces and pays you that quarterly. Now, why, why would you do that? Why, why would you be interested in that? Well, first of all, 8.21% is a great return. If the market is down 18%, you don't lose anything. If it's down 15%, you don't lose anything. If it's down 10%, you don't lose anything. And you do get you get the 8.21 no matter what. So if it's down 21, you're down 13. If you're down 21, you're down 13 because you receive the, the 821, but you're down. Right, the income that comes in either way. So the underlying yeah. here income, yeah. is is all equity options or what's the underlying? It's all equity options or the underlying. Okay. So some kind of strategy where you're selling puts and calls and mixing and matching kind of deal? Yes, exactly right. Exactly. It's a little more complicated with this one, but basically that's the idea. So this is this like Michael said, this is more like a traditional structured product. It it it's it's yeah, just like the buffers were, you know, originally. But this one is is a new one. You know, it's a new one for people to think about. The reason people like this is the market has to go nowhere for you to get paid. Now, if the market goes up, you don't get any of that. Right, because it's all income. Because you're getting the 8.21%. So you don't, if the, the market's up 20, you get none of that. You got the 8.21. That's what you signed up for. This is an income product. It's like a bond. You know, so you're just getting the income. Uh, and that, that income, as you said, that's that that rate is locked in at the beginning. Yep. It, do, it doesn't change throughout that year period. It doesn't change at all throughout the year. Now, let's say you get it, it let's say you bought it at, at 10 bucks. I think it's a $25 share price. So that $25 share price. In a year, uh, it should be 25 again, and you should have received the 8.21 unless it was down below the barrier, and then it will be down whatever that percentage is, uh, and then it will and just obviously continue. obviously, the, the higher your barrier, the lower your income is going to be. So you're going to get a higher exactly. income at 10% than you would at 40, and it depends yeah, so on your 30, risk Yeah, so 30, just tolerance. to give you an idea on the 30, those are the two most uh, popular ones. That's 7.43%. So you got a 30 barrier. So how, how likely is it that the the uh, S&P is going to be down 30%. It's super unlikely, right? So you're going to get 7.43%. And these are all income. tied to the S&P as the, as the downside? These are, yes. These are. Okay. We, we were going to do some of the NASDAQ, but the volatility in the NASDAQ isn't enough to generate enough more premium for people. And we thought it was better for people to look at one underlying, the S&P, and what is the level of barrier you're most comfortable with? And then you just get the income. You know, you're just selling ball, basically receiving the ball back is what's happening. Now, these do, do own treasuries too. So the treasuries have an impact on the uh, income level. So as treasury yields go down, these could go down a little bit. Risk and reward are tied at the hip. Anything that yeah. you do, anything that you do to mitigate your risk will in some fashion have a similar impact on reward. We know that. Yep. What I like about these ideas is that with the market, you really, you can't really define your risk and reward, right? The, the range of outcomes for the S&P in a given year, it's a mile wide. So I think it's perfectly acceptable for somebody to say, hey, 
I want to be invested. I just know from my own experience that I can't take all of the downside. So I'm perfectly happy to give up some of the upside as long as I can protect myself to my own personal risk tolerance. So there are, I, I don't know why some people have a problem with, with this sort of product or, or category. What, what are some of the most common critiques and what do you say to address some of them? Like, what do you hear that shows that you no, think is I, fair? I, what I do you think, hear that I, you think is nonsense? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, people can be fickle, but I, I think the one thing that um, advisors get most concerned about is, well, I don't know if I really want to cap. You know, and I, I think we have really taught people in our business um, that they feel like their returns are somehow reliable. Like they know what they're going to get. They had no idea what our returns are going to be. I mean, if we're fair to each other, yes, we're in the business. We talk about it. We tell what we think is going to happen. But when you're in it long enough, you realize there's very little control you have. And the idea of someone just being naked in the market and having no idea of what their return is going to be, to me, is not good. And most investors should have better control of their outcomes. And that's what these do. So yeah, they complain that they don't like the cap or they don't like this or they don't like that. I'm like, well, you know, um, that's it's totally fine and I get it. And 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 the, the important thing is is we're not trying to sell to traders and to high risk people. We're these are meat and potatoes, rocks, bedrock type products that you can rely on. These are not things that you know, even if you think about low vol, men vol, dividend yield, all these kind of strategies, they work till they don't, you know, and, and in the markets where you think they may really deliver, they don't really work that well. And what we like about these is you can look at it and say, okay, I know what I'll get based on what the underlying does. That gives me a lot of comfort. And it allows an advisor to build trust with their clients. Because what no one likes is a surprise out of the blue, especially with a new big client. And you got to get $5 million in the I mean, look at how much um, money is sitting in money markets right now. Yeah. It's all in the sidelines. And it all missed this big run-up early in the year. Nobody, it's crazy. Nobody, nobody likes surprises to the downside, but people also might say that they like the defined outcome until you get a year like 2023, when even though nobody was predicting it, if you get a if you get an up thirty percent year, it's it's there's risk to having a cap. So I get that. Yeah, part yeah, of it there too. is. Yeah, yeah, there totally is, and you could lose out. And I would tell for people that are in a growth more of a growth mode like that, and they, I would say, don't put all your apples in here. I'm not encouraging you to do that with all your investments necessarily. You know, I, but what I'm saying is, for a portion of them, you ought to be thinking about this. What do you think most advisors put into your products? If you had to guess, I mean, are they taking a 20% allocation are people taking out a lot of their fixed income exposure? What? What's yeah, a- I mean, it, it is all over the board. I mean, we talked to a guy um, a, a week ago, I was on a call with him. He, he's converted his whole practice. Wow. <laughs> because he said, what, what, I, I really, what can I really bring to the market that's not already out there? You know, I'm out there trying to talk about portfolio management and all this kind of thing. This, I mean, this has something I can really bring to the table and talk to people about, and I can paint a vision of the future much more reliably than I can just kind of guessing that, you know, bond and stock correlations will hold up or, you know, all these other things. And he feels like it, it differentiates him in the marketplace. So you got these guys putting a half a billion in, you know, their whole business to 
all the way down to, you know, 10% or 5% or the whole thing, you know, they're putting their alts bucket in there. Every time we talk to you, we mentioned that even though some of the underlying concepts are relatively straightforward, this can get unwieldy and fairly complex pretty quickly because of the nature of there are a lot of moving parts. I know that at, that you guys, the the fact sheets that 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 you put out, the things on your side that are updated daily to tell you where the barriers are, where the buffers are on the floors and all that sort of stuff is really is really great stuff. Uh, you have people standing by if advisors want to learn more about any of these products. Absolutely. And and I highly recommend, um, you know, this is what we do at Innovator. This is what we brought the com- company for or why we started the company. We are the experts in this. And so if you have any questions or you're like, oh, you know, there are no dumb questions either. I mean, these are new products in the market. I mean, and it's a concept that you kind of got to get inside your head. Once you do, you realize, oh, these are actually not too bad. Once you take a little time and you spend some time on them, you start to realize, okay, these are very cool. I could do a lot with these. And so we encourage you to to use our knowledge resources, reach out to innovatoretfs.com, you know, and, and connect with someone there. And uh, we'd be happy to help you any way we can. All right, Bruce. Thank you. Always fun catching up with you. Fellas, it's been a pleasure. Take care of yourselves. And each other. Rest in peace, Jerry. Okay, thanks again to Bruce, who has to be the guest that we've had on most on this show, don't you think? It's getting there. Pretty yeah. close. All right, innovatoretfs.com to learn more. Email us, animal spirits at the compound. Dang it, what is it? <laughs> animal spirits at the compound news.com. There it is. I'm going to get it. See you next time.